Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Personalization Outbreak Podcast. Innovation and expansion are two essential keys to success in any business. Today, we're going to be talking about one of the most iconic companies in America, Radio Flyer. See, a lot of people don't know this, but Radio Flyer isn't just a manufacturer of children's tricycles anymore. They've actually been around for over 100 years and have had to adapt to a lot of changes, not only in the marketplace, but in the workplace. Now, in this episode, we're going to explore how they've evolved by innovating and expanding their business. Our guest today is Robert Payson. He's the CEO of Radio Flyer, the business founded by his grandfather in 1917. Now, Robert was recently named on Glassdoor's 2021 list of top CEOs for the 11th time. Now, under his leadership, Radio Flyer sales have grown significantly because of Robert's focus on building a highly committed and creative team of flyers. He'll tell you a little bit about that on the show. So before we get started, please click the like button below, share it with your colleagues, and subscribe to our YouTube channel and social media at Glenn Yopis. Let's get started. The 2022 season of Personalization Outbreak Podcast is brought to you by City of Hope, a world leader in the research and treatment of cancer, diabetes, and other life-threatening diseases. City of Hope has been ranked among the nation's best hospitals in cancer by U.S. News and World Report for over a decade. Learn more about City of Hope at cityofhope.org. You are listening to Personalization Outbreak, a podcast about the collapse of traditional corporate standards in today's more personalized world. I'm Glenn Yopis. I'm a leadership strategist, author, contributor to Forbes, and founder of the Leadership in the Age of Personalization movement. On this show, I'm interviewing executives across multiple sectors to find out how the balance between standardization and personalization can exist. Robert, such an honor to have you on the show. Thanks for being here today. It's a pleasure to be here, Glenn. Well, thank you, Robert. Uh, You know, you know, as we discussed in preparing for the show, you know, legacy has a, a really warm part of my heart, uh, knowing the legacies of people that came before me in my Cuban heritage uh, and knowing that my dad was 50 uh, when I was born and the responsibility I have to carry his legacy forward. You know, as a third generation CEO of a 105-year-old company, how have you continued to honor your grandfather and your father's legacy for the business, but also how did you personalize the brand to be unique to who you are as an individual, your leadership style and vision for the next generation of radio flyer uh, consumers? Well, you know, my grandpa was, uh, he was an immigrant and, you know, ever since I was a kid, I just loved his story. He had this amazing uh, quintessential American immigrant success story. So when he was 16 years old, he left his family in Italy. Uh, he came from a poor working class family of carpenters um, and he came to Chicago to find a better life. And because he had this carpentry skill, he knew how to make things out of wood. 
he was always looking to put that to use to improve his situation. And after a few years of working in, you know, day labor jobs and railroad crews and, and everything like that, he was able to save up enough money to rent a small garage on the west side of Chicago. And in that garage, he started making furniture out of wood. And he made also phonograph cabinets, those old Victrolas that people would crank up and play records. And he also made a wooden wagon that he used to haul tools around. And pretty soon customers were buying more of his wagons than anything else. So I guess we would call that a pivot today. Um, and he, he really started focusing on wagons exclusively. And, um, and he started to gear up and add workers and started to build out a factory. And over time, um, he switched from wood to steel, which enabled him to mass produce the wagons, which earned him the nickname Little Ford. And, um, and he named that steel wagon the Radio Flyer. And everyone always says, why is it called Radio Flyer? And it's because they were just two really cool, high-tech buzzwords of the era, the great inventions of the radio and the airplane. So um, I, I like to say if you were naming it today, it'd be something like Quantum AI Dronester, you know, would be the equivalent. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and, well, I've got well, to say he certainly was ahead of his time. Yeah, it's interesting because he was very, he was all about what's the latest innovation. He was all about America being this, you know, new world of opportunity. And it's really funny because he was probably one of the least nostalgic people you could ever meet. He was always about the future. But he ended up creating a very nostalgic uh, brand because and product because so many people grew up with Radio Flyer. Yeah. yeah. So, so take us into now, now that you've honored your grandfather and your father's legacy, uh, what have you done to uh, honor that, but also uh, cast a new vision for its future? Yeah, you know, I think that some of the things that were kind of baked into the DNA of both the company and in our family was the way my my grandpa treated people. And he was a person who treated people with a lot of kindness and a lot of respect. And um, I remember just one other story about him at his funeral, actually, was which was in uh, 1990. I was 21 years old at the time. And all these old guys were coming up to me telling me stories about my grandpa. And there were stories like, you know, I worked I worked in the factory for this many years and your grandpa, you know, knew my name and helped my family. Or I used to uh, I used to sell equipment to your grandpa and we never signed an agreement. It was always a handshake. So he was a very honest person and he really believed that products, the products that he made were, you know, had his name on them. He, and so quality and integrity were huge parts of, of his life and the way he led and the way he worked. Um, and that's how he raised my dad and that's how my dad raised me. So when I came into the company, you know, I was lucky enough to be born the grandson of the guy that started Radio Flyer. So that was this incredible gift. Um, and the company was really at a crossroads 30 years ago. We a lot had changed um, and we were really facing some of those existential questions about, you know, are we going to be able to stay in business? And so one of the things I did early on and being young and clueless and just learning like a sponge is I just asked people, uh, consumers like, well, tell me about radio, your radio flyer experience. Tell me about what you were doing when you were a kid. Who were you with? And all of these really powerful emotions and images 
would be articulated by people. They'd say, yeah, I was playing outside and the sun was in my face and the wind was in my hair. And I was imagining that my wagon was a race car or a rocket. And I was with my grandpa or I was with my mom who I adored. And so there were all these stories about laughter and love and imagination and adventure. And we started to realize like, that's what Radio Flyer is. It's not necessarily just this steel wagon that we can stamp out in a factory. Um, and we started to articulate that, you know, our reason for existing was not just to make wagons, but it was to bring smiles and create warm memories. Yeah. And so when we started to really sh shift our mindset about, yes, of course, we make physical products and that's very, very important for delivering the experience. But what we're really all about are those warm memories and those smiles. And that's what started to help us kind of look beyond wagons to all these other product categories that we've gotten into um, that have fueled our growth. Well, you know, as I was researching the organization, I mean, it's interesting how when you go back to its origin roots, right, once it took its, you know, once it really got up and running, um, I think that this is what your grandfather wanted. He wanted not to just sell product, but create human experiences. So it's incredible how you have shifted the focus from product to experience. How does that type of a pivot, if we go back to that term again, how does that reshape the way an organization operates and, and how someone like you leads? Yeah, well, I think the most important thing it did was it really, you know, I think 30 years ago, if you walked into the building and asked somebody, well, what do you do here? The first thing they would have said is we stamp wagons out of steel. Like they would say a bunch of things like that until eventually somebody would say, oh, yeah, and it's called Radio Flyer. You know, it wouldn't yeah, be it wouldn't be the brand first. Um, and I think it, that was a little bit of a fixed mindset of of thinking about ourselves. And so by shifting our mindset that it's about the smiles and the warm memories, we realize, well, we can make tricycles, we can make scooters, uh, we can, um, you know, make a Tesla electric car for kids, you know, and and um, I think what that then shifted our our whole uh, organization to building a team that understands the brand, building a team that really understands and can uncover consumer insights, mm. building a really uh, awesome product development team of designers and engineers that can come up with all these new products. And so that's, that's, those are some of the big changes that have fueled our growth. Well, you know, you're, you're talking about one of the shifts on how to lead in the age of personalization that's called from brand identity to individual identities. In other words, it's not about how the brand defines those that purchase it. It's how those that purchase it define the brand. And this is yeah. fundamentally what's happened here is that you've realized that it's all these individual identities known as families that are actually helping us shape not only the brand, but what's possible. I've got to believe that this creates and fosters a culture of innovation and creativity uh, that truly encourages people to, you know, experiment and try new things. I mean, how does a culture like this come to bear? Yeah. Well, the thing you just said about the consumers defining <laughs> what you do is so true. And I have a great <laughs> example of that, you know, early on when we were trying to figure out how we can grow and expand, I would ask people to tell me about their radio flyer experiences. And a lot of times they would say, oh, I had a radio flyer tricycle. 
And we're like, really? Wow. What, what did it look like? And they would describe it. They'd say it was shiny and red. It had chrome handlebars. It had a big bell. It was a radio flyer, but we had never made tricycles. <laughs> so, so because our brand was this classic brand, because they did have a red tricycle that looked like that, but they didn't remember the brand, they assigned our brand to that product. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. We should make tricycles, you know? So we started making tricycles and, uh, and now we're the world's largest tricycle manufacturer and brand and tricycles. And oh it's goodness. so funny because people see that same classic design tricycle. We make a lot of different ones now, some that are like strollers and that fold up. And, yeah. but that classic tricycle, people still point to it and say, that's the one I had as a kid. Um, so we followed, we followed our customers lead on that completely. Um, and I think, you know, in terms of the culture, what we've really tried to do, the culture at Radio Flyer and the team is really align the internal culture with the external view of Radio Flyer by our customers. So, you know, those smiles and warm memories, you know, we're not just delivering those to families, but that's what our experience is for everyone who works here. We call the people who work here Flyers. And so we want flyers to feel that this is the best job they've ever had in their life, that they're doing their best work, that they're challenged, that they're engaged, and, and that their work is tied to this higher purpose of delivering these experiences and providing these experiences to families. And, you know, that, that came to light so much during the pandemic, because during the pandemic, when people were stuck at home and families were stuck at home, um, our sales really spiked. And they spiked because they families needed things for their kids to be entertained or to go outside or to blow off steam because they were stuck in the house with cabin fever. And we got all of these stories and photos of families saying, thanks for this great product. You know, everybody's stressed out. Um, we're worried about COVID. And, you know, every day we go for a ride around the block with the tricycle or we take our wagon to the park. And and we would sh we share those stories internally with our team and everybody takes such pride in that and realizes that, you know, we're a bright spot in people's lives. And, and that's really important because, you know, life can be challenging and life can be hard, especially during a pandemic. And so those are all ways that our team really is connected to our mission and our purpose. You know, if I can go back to purpose a moment, uh, Robert, I mean, nowadays, uh, the question that, you know, we continue to ask people in organizations uh, with respect to their culture and just their working environment is, are your people buying what you're selling? And, mm -hmm. and what I've seen is that organizations have done such a good job on casting a purpose. But what we're also learning is that people don't really know what that purpose means. What can you in part upon us, more so our guest, on when do you know uh, that you're actually living the purpose? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of ways to measure it. Um, and, you know, one of the ways is like we use the net promoter score where we ask people that question, would you recommend Radio Flyer to a friend? And, and we measure that. Um, we measure our customer service, you know, delivery metrics. Um, and we read all the reviews that are online about our products. Um, so I think there's a lot of real specific ways you could measure it. And then I think, I view, I, for me, a lot of these things are, I think, informal. Like when you say, yes. I work at Radio Flyer, 
what do people say back to you when you go tell your family i'm taking a job at radio flyer or when you're at a party and you say i'm working at radio flyer you know what people get back are smiles and warm memories when they do that you know so um it's one of the really wonderful things about working here is that everybody has a story and they're all really really nice stories um so i think those are some of the ways you can yep. you can but you know, it's interesting, Robert, <laughs> forgive me for interrupting. You've got me so focused on this. And, but you gave us the answer. It's, you know, when your purpose is real, when everybody feels it, that's the metric. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the metric. And, and that's part of, you know, why we call this, you know, personalization outbreak podcast. We, we seem to think that there needs to be some standard in, in place to actually measure it when what we're really measuring goes back to what you said at the beginning that, you know, this is all about solving for the experiences that people have for the brand, not the actual product. And you've proven this again in, in helping us understand when we really begin to understand and be able to touch our purpose is based on the things that people feel. So on that note, um, tell us a little bit about this e-bike business that you're in. I mean, talking about making a big pivot. First of all, I'm just intrigued by how you saw the opportunity. And then what were some of the things that may have been a little bit uncomfortable with it? And then where is it going today? Yeah. Well, we've talked about bicycles for a long time, just because, you know, we're into wheels. Uh, we okay. make, we make a tricycles, we make little kids bikes. Um, and we've want, we've really looked at adult bikes for a long time and wanted to do it. Um, but we we struggled with finding, you know, what is our what's what can we do that's different and better than anyone else? And that's always a bar that we try to clear when we're when we're going into a new product category. And so a few things came together that caused us to launch the the e-bikes. First was that about 10 years ago, we started working with Tesla to do the kids versions of Tesla vehicles. And in doing that, we learned a lot about lithium-ion batteries because all of those products are powered by lithium-ion batteries, just like Tesla real cars. So our team started to build this skill of lithium-ion batteries. Um, and then we partnered with a ride-sharing uh, scooter company a number of years ago, and we produced a lot of ride-sharing scooters for that company. So it wasn't under our brand, but we learned a lot about this, you know, what they call micromobility. These are, you know, non-car vehicles to get people around better for the environment, more efficient. Um, and so we learned a lot about that. And, and then we saw this electrification of bicycles, electric bikes starting. And I think, you know, several years ago, I heard about an electric bike and I thought, wow, isn't that cheating? Like, <laughs> do you really need a bicycle? <laughs> like the most too. It's the most efficient human powered vehicle there is. You really need to put a battery and a motor on it. But then I rode it and I was like, wow, I get it. Like, this is incredible because especially if you want to haul stuff like kids and cargo, um, oh. I had ridden a cargo bike many years ago, a non-powered cargo bike. And I was like, this is really cool, but it's like a beast, like going up the hills. And but um, so all those things came together and we thought, you know what, I think we can carve out a spot in this space that we can be the best electric bikes for families on the go. And so for a family that has young kids and they want to try to replace car trips with bike trips, that's what we're trying to do. So we've created a couple of bikes and we have more in the pipeline 
that are have all these really cool attachments and accessories like a kid and cargo carrier that can haul kids or can haul cargo that are really thoughtful and really can enable families to replace more car trips with bike trips. So we got really passionate about that, carving out that niche, and that's what we're working on. My, so how long have you been in, in the e-bikes <clears throat> business? Yeah, just a year. We launched uh, last year. And and what do you see its future? I mean, what do you, I mean, you say you got more bikes in the pipeline. I mean, so you see this as a, you know, a new legitimate vertical that you're really in, involved in. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're totally committed to the the category where we've learned a lot. We've come up with some really cool innovations in the products and um, you know, most people still in the United States have not ridden an electric bike. And so um, we see huge growth because at, we have, have this experience of when the first time somebody rides an electric bike, you know, they're kind of skeptical and we do these test ride events and most people have never ridden an electric bike and then they get on it and they just get this incredibly gleeful expression on their face. And it's like they're a kid again and <laughs> and they're totally converted. I mean, we've I've never had an experience where somebody has ridden an electric bike and they're like, that's dumb or I don't get it. Like after they ride it, they're like, I totally get this. This is amazing. Um, so we think there's just a really huge future for us in it. And we're really excited about it. That's great. Well, congratulations with that. And, you know, as, as we start wrapping up here, Robert, I mean, clearly, the organization has been through cycles of transformation and you know you yourself are you're you're casting a vision that takes us well into the future with technology in mind but for organizations today that are just embarking upon their transformation what advice do you have for them especially those that you know can't always see the bigger picture or for those that just are stuck in their own ways uh, what what wisdom can you share? Because this is a hot topic, and it's clear that from your grandfather to your father to yourself, you've carried that what I call that immigrant perspective that you can see, you know, opportunity in everything, anticipate the unexpected, unleash your passionate pursuits, you know, live with this entrepreneurial spirit, you know, this generous purpose and this desire to lead, you know, lead to leave a legacy. I mean, that's been the transformation model that at least I learned from my own father. What's how do we navigate transformation during this? time? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a it, there's a lot of answers to that, but I would say the most important place to start is with the customer. And everyone always says, listen to the customer, but we kind of frame it a little differently. And we, of course, listen to the customer, but more importantly, we watch our customers. We try to really observe what they're doing. and. And our team does this a variety of different ways, going in people's homes and, and you know, observing kids playing, observing people putting our products in, in and out of the car and the garage. And in air, inevitably, we are able to find problems that we can solve for families. Mm -hmm. and, and we're just, and these aren't, you know, these aren't life and death problems that we're solving. These are, how do you make, uh, usually it's parents with young kids, how do you make their lives a little bit more easy, a little bit more enjoyable, um, like fold it, putting a wagon in the back of a car. We saw that's not an easy thing to do. It's big, it's cumbersome, it's bulky. So we developed this whole line of folding wagons that fold up. That came from watching our customers. So I would say really try to watch your customers and get in, in as deep as you can with your customers so that you can uncover 
problems that you can solve for them. Because if you're solving problems for your customers, then they're going to love you. And then you can just keep going with that and keep growing. Well, th that's uh, the name of the game, right? Is if we continue to take care of those that uh, it's our responsibility to serve, the momentum will continue and that success will continue to re-sow itself over time. So, uh, Robert, thank you so much uh, for your time. What, what, a, what a treat you've been. I'm sure we've all learned a lot. I certainly have today. And do you have any parting words before we close? Well, just thank you, Glenn, for your time. It's been a pleasure to be with you. And, you know, if you ever want to learn more about, you know, what I'm doing or what we're doing at Radio Flyer, you can find me on LinkedIn. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, Robert, thank you again for your time today. And as we close every show, when you lead in the age of personalization, you will see things that others don't. Do what others won't and keep pushing when prudence says quit. Thank you, Robert. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks for listening to Personalization Outbreak. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. If you enjoyed the content, visit ageofpersonalization.com to check out our free streaming video series and learn how to get involved in the movement. I'm Glenn Yopis. I wish you a good day. And remember, without strategy, change is merely substitution, not evolution. Learn more about City of Hope at cityofhope.org.